It's like this one, just a picture. You just look at the right. You missed this one. Thanks, Okay, good morning, everybody. Kamotoru, sponsored by Adam and Yudit Ben Zev in honor of their children, Jake, Serena, and Rosie. Week of learning is from the Friends of the Pacinos. We'd like to wish Mel and Judy and Mazel to have their upcoming Aliyah. We are sad to see them go, but we cannot be happier for you to embark on the next stage. Just thinking it's going to be easier for Mel to stay with the group, because now it's in the middle of the afternoon. Okay. Dafyomi by Bill and Razi Eskin, in memory of Razi's father, Reb Nachem ben Moshe, whose yartate is on Yud Tes Tammuz, and Matt and Suki Schoenfeld for Rafu Shalema for Herschel, Yisrael ben Pescha, Yenta Rezel. Okay, we are on Pei Aleph Omid Beis. We're going to do... Daf and a half Yomi. Okay, about two dots halfway down. Um, first word on the line is Ki'ilu. Two dots. So we learned in the Mishnah that if a person eats foods which are not fit to be eaten, so then he's potter, he's not obligated in kares. Amarava kas palpali bioma de kipuri potter. Person who's kus, kus Rashi says earlier is a way, anything which a person eats in an unusual way, pilfully. If a person eats pilfully, how, how do they translate pilfully over there? Peppers. Peppers. Okay. So if a person eats that bioma the kipuri is potter. Kus zangvila, I believe that's ginger. Bioma the kipuri. Then he's potter. Person who eats ginger, Yom Kippur, he's potter. That's not called eating. Mace, vehayi reb meir omer, mi mash mashinema, va'araltem arloso aspirio. So there's a mitzvah in the Torah called arlo, which means when a person has a fruit tree, the first three years, he's not allowed to benefit from the fruits. So the Pasik says, araltem arloso aspirio, which means he shouldn't benefit, shouldn't eat those fruits. So if the Pasuk starts telling me to not use the fruits, then I understand it's coming from a tree that grows fruits. So why does the Pasuk have to say after that that it's an eight Michael? It's a type of tree which produces fruits. If you tell me don't eat the fruits, I know it's the type of tree that, that, that produces fruits. So why did the Torah later go in that same Pasuk say that it's a fruit tree? To tell me, that it's referring to a tree where it's eights, the tree itself, and the fruits have a similar taste, have yomers a pilpulin, which is a reference to a type of tree that grows pilpulin. That even this type of fruit, pilpulin, is obligated in Arlo, the midst of Arlo. And Eretz Yisrael has all types of things. That there's not going to be anything lacking in Eretz Yisrael. So what the Gemara is asking is, you told me that if you eat pilpuli on Yom Kippur, you're not obligated because it's not defined as food. But we seem to see in this brisa that he's understanding that it's included in the normal mitzvah of Arla, which applies to fruit. 
which applies to a fruit tree, which is defined by food. So it seems like pilpuli is called food. So lokasha haber tifta haber Gemara says it depends. If it's still moist, so then it could be called food. Once it's dried out, so then it's not defined as food. But he said himlasa. Rashi says lituriga. How did they translate that one? Lecturer. Is that English? Okay. So himlasa, the asimi behundoi, which comes from this place hindoi. They said that it's sharia, a person's allowed to eat it. That means that if it was cooked by a non-Jewish person, right? so there's a prohibition called bishal akum, that if a non-Jewish person cooks something for a Jew, paste. depending on the case, he's not allowed to use it. Okay. But we had a halacha saying that it's okay for a person to eat it and you can make brepri adama. The reason it's okay for a person to eat it, Rashi says, is that since it could be eaten raw, so something which could be eaten even unprepared, so then if it's cooked by the bishal akum, that doesn't prohibit it. So we see that it's edible raw. So we're challenging that an, another food, which seemingly we would have called unedible, and they would have said, you're exempt on Yom Kippur. We seem to say that we define those types of things as food. So, same answer. If it's moist, so then it still could be defined as food. But once these items are dried out, so then it already doesn't, doesn't pass the test to be defined as food. Okay. Person who ate branches from a tree, he's potter. But if it's branches from a grapevine, which we'll see it's at the beginning of its development, where it's before it gets hard, so therefore it's still called edible, and therefore if he eats that in Yom Kippur, he's chayiv. What's the definition of these types of branches, which if a person eats it, he's obligated? If it was produced within the last 10 days, in other words, we're talking on Yom Kippur. So if it, if, it, if it was produced in the last 10 days, so it's still in a very early stage before it hardens, so then it's defined as food. But if it was earlier than that, he's saying it's already going to be too hard to not be defined as food on Yom Kippur. Rav Kahana, Omar Kol Shloshim Yom, Rav Kahana disagreed. He said, 30 day, as long as it's within 30 days of Yom Kippur, that's still soft enough to be defined as food. Tanya Kavasi it's like, Megadlah, we have a raya a support to the first opinion that said 10 days, because the Brisa says, It says the same distinction, that the only time he's obligated is if it's these branches from a grapevine. And which types of branches is he obligated? That if it was produced in the last 10 days, which is explicit like the first opinion who said it needs to be 10 days, but before 10 days would already be too hard to be considered food on Yom Kippur. Okay, about five lines up from the bottom. Shasat Sir or Potter. The Mishnah said that if a person um, drank Sir or Morius, so Sir is 
um, a liquid that comes out of a fish through salting it. And morius is like just a natural fish juice that comes out from cooking it. So if a person drank either of those, which are not the most, um, not the best drink in the world, so he's potter because that's not defined as eating. The Gemara says, if you said those two, then it sounds like vinegar, which is closer to a normal drink, he's obligated. Masnis and money, who's the opinion of the Mishnah? Rebbe, he, Tatani, Rebbe, Omer, Chomets, Meshavis, Nefesh. Because Rebbe said that vinegar, right, our standard is Yisuv Daita, some level of comfort from this, this sheer, this amount of food which he ate. So Rebbe's opinion was that vinegar passes the test, and therefore we're saying the Mishnah, which sounds like vinegar would have a different status, must be the opinion of Rebbe. Darsh Rav Gidol bar Menashe Mibiri Dinarash, so Rav Gidol Darshind, Ein Halacha Ke Rebbe. He got up and said, we don't hold like Rebbe, we hold that if a person drank Vinegar and Yom Kippur, he's exempt. That's not called a drink. Next year, bad things happen. Everybody in Yom Kippur was making their vinegar drinks. Okay, so they took some vinegar, they mixed some water in to dilute it, and everybody was drinking on Yom Kippur. Shamar of Gilo, he heard Ve'ik, but he got very upset. I was saying, if a person did it, he's exempt. I wasn't saying you can go ahead and, and have some vinegar drinks on Yom Kippur. I was only saying you can have a little bit, but if you had a lot, so then it would sound like everyone agrees that you're chayiv. It sounds like he's saying, Rebbe's opinion was if you have, a, let's say, the shear, in other words, a ki, um, sorry, I'm just blinking. Right, the shear we said in the Mishnah was, Thank you. So Rebbe was saying, if you have that amount of vinegar, you're obligated. So he was saying, we don't hold like that. But he's saying, but if you had a lot of vinegar, so then everyone would agree you're obligated. So you for sure can't go have lots of vinegar in Yom Kippur. And I was only saying straight vinegar. Once you start diluting water, so then, then it's also a problem, because then you're, you're drinking water also on Yom Kippur. Okay. If a person has a child under Barabbas Mitzvah, he should not make them fast on Yom Kippur. But he should be mechanich them, train them, the Gemara originally is going to read this as before a year, which means two years before their Barabbas Mitzvah, and before two years, which means three years. Okay, so it means two years before and three years before, then he should be doing something. Okay, we'll see in the Gemara what exactly that is. B'shevil shirigil b'mitzvahs in order that they should be rogil b'mitzvahs, that they should be get used to doing it. Says the Gemara, If you tell me, even, if you tell me three years before you should be training him, so then why do you have to tell me and two years before? Right, if I should start something earlier, so then why are you telling me and do it the next year also? So It depends on what type of kid it is. If the kid's 100% healthy, so then we'll see what the mission is saying, but it's saying start three years early. If the kid is, is less healthy, 
So then, I mean, we're not talking it's sick to the point where it's dangerous, but we're saying it's less, less right, it's weaker than the normal kid. So then you should, the mission is saying you should push it off one year. So in other words, three years before is for the healthy kid. Two years before for the not as healthy kid. Okay, so now what are we saying to do? Amr Afuna, Ben Ches. So he's talking about girls. When a girl is eight, who Ben Tes or nine, Mechanchen Oso Lishos, then you should train it for hours, which means if she's eight and she's healthy, so then you do Lishos for hours, which later in the Gemara is going to sound like that if a kid normally eats breakfast at seven o'clock, so then you push it off an hour. Breakfast an hour later. That's, that, that's what it means. Chinuch l'shoz. So if a girl's eight and she's healthy, or if she's not as healthy, then nine. Rav Chizda says, Mechan chinuch So then you do like an hour delay of the meal. Ben Yud or Ben Yud Aleph, but once a girl is ten, if she's healthy, or eleven, if she's not as healthy, then mashlimen midarabbonu. Then she should finish her fast. Ben Yud Beis, Mashlima Mida Araisa, but you know, because once a girl's 12, so then Mida Araisa, she has to fast on Yom Kippur. Okay, so when she's 12, she has to fast from the Torah. And he basically gave four, four measurements, eight and nine for the healthy and unhealthy for pushing off the hour, and 10 and 11 for finishing the fast, 10 for the healthy girl, 11 for the less healthy girl. Rav Nachman, Amr Ben Tessa Ben Yud. So Rav Nachman is talking about a boy. They're not disagreeing. They're just talking about two different cases. Rav Nachman says if it's a boy when he's nine, so then he should do hours. Ben Yud, and when he's ten, if he's not as healthy, he should he should push off that hour. Ben Yud Aleph, Ben Yud the and if he's eleven and healthy, so then he should finish. If he's twelve and not as healthy, so then. Only once he's 12, he should finish. And Ben Yud Gimel, once the boy is 13, then he should finish from the Torah. He has to finish fasting. So in other words, they're, they're both saying the same structure. One was talking about a girl, one was talking about a boy. They're both making a distinction of one year between a healthy kid and a not as healthy kid. And they're saying that there's two different stages. There's the one stage of being which means training them just to push off an hour. And then the next stage, which for each kid happens two years later, means for that kid they should finish the fast. Rabbi Yochanan says, I don't think that we ever obligate a child under Barabbas Mitzvah to finish fasting. So what do I hold? Ben Yud, Ben Yud Aleph. So he's talking about a girl, that if a girl would be 10 and healthy, then she should do the shows, the hour. Ben Yud Aleph, if she's not as healthy, same thing, Mechan Chanoso Lashos. Ben Yud Beis, Mashlimin Midaraisa. Once she's 12, then she has to do it Minatari. So, in other words, their disagreement is Rabbi Yochanan saying, I don't think a boy or girl under Barabbas Mitzvah ever has to fast fully. So, what do I hold? That two years before Barabbas Mitzvah, they have to, if they're healthy, they do the hour. And if they're not as healthy, then, then one year before Barabbas Mitzvah, they do the hour. The first opinions were saying four years before Barabbas Mitzvah, if they're healthy, they do an hour. Three years if they're not as healthy. And two years and one year before, that's when the boys and girls under Barabbas Mitzvah need to finish. Okay, so we have a disagreement. Is there ever an obligation because of chinuch, because of training the child, that they have to finish the fast before Barabbas Mitzvah? 
The Mishnah said that by children, you don't force them to fast. But you should be machanich, them, train them, which we said the Gemara is going to read it as lifnei shana, which means before a year, which means two years before. Which means before two years, which means three years before. Okay, so it's a little confusing the way it was written, but let's assume it said two years before their Barabbas Mitzvah and three years before their Barabbas Mitzvah. So Bishvah, the Riffin of Rav Nachman. According to the first opinions, I'll read it as Lifnei Shtana, Lifnei Shnayim, Lifnei Shnana, Ledivreyim, Lifnei Shnayim, Ledivreyim, which Rashi explains the way they'll read the Mishnah is three years before Barabbas Mitzvah, a child needs to do Sha'os, which is hours, which is two years before that child needs to finish. So in other words, they're talking about a not-as-healthy child, and the Mishnah would be saying three years before the girl is bas mitzvah, which means when she's nine. So then she needs to start doing shows hours, if she's the chola, the not-as-healthy girl, which is two years before she needs to finish, which is when she's 11. Because right? their opinion was three years before you do hours, and one year before you do, you finish. So that's how they would read the Mishnah. But the Gemara is challenging. Rabbi Yochanan said the only thing there is is two years before an hour if you're a healthy child and one year before if you're a less healthy child. So why is the Mishnah talking about three years before, according to Rabbi Yochanan? There's no halacha that has anything to do with three years before. So Amr Lecha, Rabbi Yochanan, my shana oshtayim samach lapirkan. Rabbi Yochanan saying, Rashi explains it, is that he's, he's saying don't read the Mishnah means before a year, which means two years, before two years, which means three years. He's saying, no, read it as one year or two years before. Okay, so meaning what was confusing the Gemara is the lifnation of that lamet, which means before a year. Rabbi Yochanan saying you don't have to read it that way. I'm comfortable reading it as a year before and two years before. And I'll say that's exactly what I'm saying. Two years before you finish hours for the healthy child, and one year before was for the unhealthy child. Toshma, Mar says, we have a question from a Brisa. Did Tani The Brisa says, by children, you don't force them to fast. But one or two years before, you train them, close to when they become Barabbas Mitzvah. Nika. Uh, says the according to Rabbi Yochanan, that makes sense because it said explicitly that you train them an hour or two. What is he? Oh, one, one, one or two years. Thank you. Shana Shnaim, one or two years before their Barabbas Mitzvah. El Refuna, Rav Nachman, Kasha. But says the Gemara, according to Refuna, Rav Nachman, it's a question because the Gemara is assuming that if you say Mechanchen, so that normally is a reference to training for hours, not for finishing. And it said, one or two years before Barabbas Mitzvah, you train, and we're assuming the training is for hours. So in Rabbi Yochanan, that's exactly what he said. He said, one or two years before Barabbas Mitzvah, then the child needs to do um, an hour, whether he's a healthy or unhealthy if it's one year before. But according to the first opinion who said that the only time you do hours is three and four years before. But one and two years before they held, a child needs to finish. So this Bryce, it doesn't sound like that. 
So Amri Lechai Rabbonu, my chinuch now v'dikatani hashlama. Now they'll read this brisa, even though it said the word chinuch, they'll read it means you train them to finish. Umi kari lechinuch hashlama challenges the Gemara with the brisa refer to finishing as the word chinuch. Vatanya eze chinuch hayarog olech of sheshos machilam esel deshalosh b'shalosh machilam esel baraba. There's a brisa saying what's chinuch by Yom Kippurim. That if a child eats by two hours during the day, you push it off one hour to three hours. If a child eats by three hours, you push it off to four hours. So the Gemara is challenging. It sounds like the Bryce is using the word chinuch in the context of pushing off an hour. Are you going to tell me that the other Bryce which said you should start one or two years before Barabbas Mitzvah and said the word chinuch is referring to even making them finish? So I'm a Ravah, yeah, trei chinuch havu. Yeah, I'm going to say that even though one b'risa referred to the word chinuch as pushing off hours, I'm comfortable saying the other b'risa said the word chinuch and it was really referencing finishing the fast. Okay, let's just take a look at this, this halacha inside. Okay, the Mechaber says, Katan ben teishashanim shleimus. A child who's a healthy child who's nine or a ten year old child, then a person should train him for hours. If a child normally eats breakfast two hours into the day, then you should push off the meal one hour. And if a person normally eats three hours, you should push it off to four. And according to the strength of the child, you can add on to the hours. In other words, a person should assess um, how much the child can handle. That's the same for a girl, a healthy girl. When a child is 11, then a person should finish in order to train them. Says the, that was the Shulchan the the Mechab. The Ramah says, Yesh Omrim, But some hold, like the other opinion we had in our Gemara, Rabbi Yochanan, that when a child is under Barabbas Mitzvah, they don't need to finish. In other words, the Shochanarach seems to be holding like the first opinion. And the Ramah is saying that some hold that when they're under Barabbas Mitzvah, they never need to finish. Yesh Lismach Alaihu, you can rely on that at least on a child that's weaker, you can for sure rely on the second opinion that says a child does not need to finish a fast under Barabbas Mitzvah. The Ramah adds a place where you train the child when it comes to eating. You also should change him, you also should train him in the other mitzvahs of the day, of not anointing oneself and not washing oneself. Okay, so that's the basic, that's the basic level. Okay. All right, we certainly see that when it comes to fasting, Chazal were more concerned than typical chinuch in terms of pushing, pushing off the age. So sometimes when, when you're a kid, it's exciting to want to be like the adults. We certainly see like they were concerned with not allowing the kids to do it before they're, before they're ready for the age. Okay, the mission says, Uber she'richa machilin if a lady's pregnant and the child smells something, that means the lady starts getting a craving. 
So then the Mishnah says, you can feed her until she calms down. So Rashi explains that if the if the uber, if the child starts making her having a craving, so then it's it's a sakana, it can be dangerous if she doesn't start eating the food. We'll see in the Gemara other other advice that they used to give her to try to avoid the situation. Chole, person sick, the person can feed him based on bikiyim, which means the experts, the doctors, saying that this person needs to eat. It's dangerous if he doesn't eat. Tomorrow, we will have a whole Gemara about how many doctors and if people are disagreeing with each other, who do you believe to, to, feed, to feed a sick person? If there's no experts there, So then, if the person himself says he needs food, you can believe him. In other words, we can't see anything noticeable that the person's sick, but the person says, I need food. I'm not feeling well, and, and I know that I'm in a situation where, where it's dangerous. So then you're allowed to feed him until he says it's enough. If you have a child in the womb who smelled something and made the lady have this desire, for basar kodesh, for meat which belongs to the base hamigdash, which a person is not allowed to eat, a basar chazir, or some treif. Tochlin lakush berotev, so you can stick a um, toothpick, berotev in the sauce, and manichin pia, and you put it right by her mouth. muta. If that's enough to calm her down without eating it itself, so good. And if it's not enough to have it right by your mouth, then you can feed her the sauce. If that's enough, that's okay. Then you can give her the meat itself. Why? There's nothing that stands in the way of saving a person's life, except for three things. Serving idols, which means if a person would come up and say, go serve these idols or I'll kill you. So the halacha is that a person has to give up his life. And having illicit relations, if a person would say, go have relations with this married lady, or I'll kill you. So that's another situation a person is not allowed to go do it. And the third is, if a person would come up and say, go kill that person or I'll kill you, the person's obligated to not, get, to not go kill the person and be willing to give up his life. So what's the source of these three, of a Rizara Minolan, how do you know that if a person is forced to serve idols or get killed, that he's forced to not serve the idols? The Tanya. If the Pasik says you should love Hashem, the Chol Nafshecha, which means with your whole life, then why does it have to say with all your money? And if it says love Hashem with all your money, why the Pasuk also have to say with all your life? To tell you, if you have a person who appreciates its body more than his money, therefore to that person, the Torah says, you shall love Hashem with, with your whole body. And if you have a person whose money to him is more valuable than his life, so to him, the Torah says, you shall love Hashem with all your money. In other words, the Torah is talking to anybody. Even if you love your money more than your life, which means you'd be willing to give up your life, but you're not willing to give up your money, still the Pasuk saying, you have to love Hashem 
with your life and your money. So the Gemara is understanding that the context of this Pasuk is really coming to teach me this halacha. That what does it mean you should love Hashem? It's understanding that if a person is trying to force somebody to go serve idols, to go do Avodazar, or give up his life, the Pasuk is saying to him, Hashem you're obligated to love Hashem, in other words, to not go and give in and do the Avodah Rather, you have to love Hashem and be willing to give up your life instead of going and serving the Avodah Okay, so that's the source when it comes to Avodah What's the source of the other two? That how do I know when it comes to illicit relations and killing that a person is obligated to give up his life and not... Um, go and do the Avera to save his life. Tatanya Rebbe Omer ki ka'asher yakum ish al re'ehu atzacho nefesh keina davar azeh. Okay, so the Pasuk in the Chumash is talking about if a person raped a woman, and the Pasuk says that the woman is innocent. Ein l'na rechet mavis. She's innocent. She didn't do anything wrong. And the Pasuk adds ki ka'asher yakum ish al re'ehu just like when a person gets up and kills his and kills his friend, not such a good friend. He kills another Jew or tzachal nefesh, and he kills another person. So too, this case of when a person was ma'anes, a person raped a lady, it's just like a person who killed his friend. So the pasuk's connecting, it's comparing a person who kills his friend is similar to a person who rapes a lady. So what's the comparison? So says Rebbe. For what thing is the Pasuk coming to compare killing to the case of Nara Murasa, a lady who was raped? Just like in a case where if a person's running after this married girl, this girl who's 12 and married, and she's never, she only is at the stage of Kiddushin with her husband. In other words, she's never lived with her husband. He was a Makadisher. He married her. And now a person is running after her in order to have relations with her. Okay? She's running away. A person's running after her. So Ma'anarurasa, just like Bayanarurasa. By that case, where a person's running after this young married girl to have relations with a married lady. Niten Latzila Benafsho, the halacha is, there's a halacha called Rodef. Which means in certain situations, if a person's running to do an Aveira, then a person has a mitzvah to stop them. So one example is if you see a person running after somebody to kill somebody, so you have a mitzvah to stop the person from killing this innocent person. So another example is if you see a person chasing after a married lady to try to rape her, so there's a halacha that a person has to stop him. So where do we learn that from? Rashi brings, it's from the Gemara and Sanhedrin, that the Pasuk says, Ein Moshia lo, that there was nobody who could have saved her. Right? Chazal learned from there, Hayesh lo Moshia, sounds like if there was somebody who could have saved her, save her in any way possible. Okay, so that's where we learn the halach of Rodef, which is if a person's chasing after this married lady to try to have relations with her, so there's a mitzvah um, called Rodef to stop the, the person who's trying to attack her. So ma'anarimurasa from that case of this married lady. I learned the halacha. Niten latzila b'nafsho. That a person should kill the person trying to attack her. Af rotzeyach. 
The Gemara is saying, etc. So do I learn. The Pasuk connected a murderer to the case of rape to tell me just like by the case of rape we learned in the Pasuk that the person has a mitzvah to stop the person trying to do it to her. So too, when it comes to killing, if you see a person chasing after somebody to kill him, you also have a mitzvah to stop the person from killing him. Okay, just to clarify. In this halacha rodef, it means before before it happens. In other words, a person, Rahman sees one person chasing after another person to kill him. It means there's a mitzvah to stop it before it happens. If, if a person didn't get there in time and it already happened, so then it's, it's, it's usr. You're not allowed to do anything to the murderer. Right? We, have a, we have a court system, which we don't do nowadays, but we have a court system that judges people and has death penalties. But this, this halacha is before the a crime was committed, the Torah wants you to save the person from being the victim. Once the person was already the victim, then it's prohibited for a person to act upon the person who did it. Okay, so that's one connection we see between the case of murder and a case of a person who's going to rape the, rape the married girl. Okay, back to what we were looking for. Ma rotzeach yaharig yavor. Right, we said there's three examples where a person has to give up his life and not, um, not do the Avera, do the sin to save his life. So another reason the Torah connected the, the case of a person raping the girl to a person who's killing the person, because by killing, the halacha is that a person is not allowed to kill to save his life. He's obligated to not kill the person and give up his life. So we'll have to see what the source of that is. But the Gemara is saying, just like by killing, we know that's the halacha. So af another reason the Torah connected the case of rape to the case of killing is to say, just like by killing, the law is yeharig val yavor. Don't kill, rather get killed. So af yavor. So too, when it comes to a case of rape, that if a person says, go have relations with this girl or I'll kill you, the person's obligated to not have the relations and be willing to get killed. Just to clarify, if a person should never be in this situation, but if a person's in a situation and they say, go have relations with this person or I'll kill you, so the best option is kill the person who's putting the gun to the head. Right? That's for sure allowed because he's a rodef to kill you. Right, we're saying, assuming that's not an option, so the two options are get killed or go do, the, go do the action. So then the Gemara is saying that by killing and by rape, a person is obligated to give up his life. What's your source by killing that? If a person says, go kill that person or I'll kill you, that a person has to give up his life. Person came in front of Rabbi and said, Amrili Mari Duroi. Some person, some official in my town said, Go kill that person. If not, I'll kill you. Rabbi said, You have to get killed. You're not allowed to kill the person. What's the logic? Because who says your life is more valuable? Maybe your friend's life is more valuable. That's just a fascinating thing. It means, even if that person's 150 and I'm 18, and even if that person's not such a good guy and I'm a good guy, you have no right to make cheshbonus. You have no right to make such calculations. 
right? Every person's in a world for a purpose. So you have no right to decide that my life is more valuable than somebody else. And that's why the halacha is you have to give up your life. So since that's the source, that's the logic which tells me so too when it comes to illicit relations a person has to give up his life okay so the source by serving idols a person has to give up his life is a person should love Hashem even with his whole life the source by killing is a, is a logic a svara, which says you have no right to decide your life is more valuable than his and therefore you, you have to sit there and, let, and you could try to kill the person who's attacking you but you're not allowed to make a decision to go kill somebody else. And the source by illicit relations is the Pasuk connected killing to a case of illicit relations. Okay, so Tosis here, we're not going to read the whole thing inside, but Tosis here is a fascinating discussion. Tosis talks about this different places. Now let's say, right, the case we're talking is a person comes and puts a gun to the person's head, says, go kill that person or I'll kill you. Okay, so we, we learned that the halakha is you're not allowed to go kill the person. You have to, you have to be willing to get killed. Tosa says, what? let's say you had a case the other way. Let's say a person puts a gun to somebody's head and said, let me throw you onto that person. I'm going to use you as the bullet to throw you onto that little uh, child or baby. I'm going to use you as the bullet to throw you onto that person to kill him. And if you don't cooperate to be my bullet, so then I'm going to kill you. In other words, he's not saying, go kill that person. He's saying, cooperate to let me use you to throw you on that person to kill him. And if not, then I'll kill you. Anybody have any thoughts? Yeah, you hear the difference? In other words, the Gemara's case was, the person says, go pull the trigger on that person. So the Gemara says, you're not allowed to pull the trigger. Says, let's say you had a case where the person said, didn't say, go pull the trigger. The person said, let me use you as the bullet. And if you don't cooperate to let me use you as the bullet, so then I'm going to kill you. So there's a person obligated in that situation to cooperate. So Tosa says he's not obligated. In other words, I'm sorry, he's not obligated to give up his life. He's allowed to go along with it. So why? Tosa says the whole reason for the Gemara is that you have no right to make a decision to go kill somebody for the sake of your life. So it says, in this case, I'm not making a decision. I'm Shev say I'm just sitting here. The person's coming and picking the person up and using him as a bullet. So that's not called, I'm deciding my life is more valuable than his. So it says, that's called, I'm letting him decide whose life is more valuable than his, than who's more, whose life is more valuable. So it says, since the whole source of the halacha is, from, is a svara, a logic, so then if you have a case where the person is not obligating me to do anything active, he's just suggesting I should do something passively, so then Tosa says the logic really goes the other way, and it would be allowed for a person to go along with it and be the bullet of the person, and he's not obligated to give up his life. Okay, I thought that was interesting. Okay, you have a lady who was pregnant and she had what the Mishnah was describing, that the child started smelling something. So they came in front of Rebbe and said, can we give her food? So he said, first whisper to her, 
whisper to her to Yom Kippur, see if that can calm down this drive. So they whispered to her and, and, it, and it calmed down that drive. So Rebbe said about her, while the child was still in the womb, I already knew it. In other words, I, I could tell that it was a good person. And who came out of it? Rebbe Yochanan. Who we know was a good person. There was another child that came in front of Rebbe Chanina. The same thing happened. That there was this drive that the child smelled something and the lady came and said she had a desire to eat something on Yom Kippur. So he gave her the same advice. To whisper to her to Yom Kippur and it didn't work. So he said about this lady that, that a, a bad thing was going to come out of it. And the person who came out was a person who was Otsar Piri. Rashi explains that he would basically take the fruits off the market until there was not that much supply, and then he would pull it out and start charging very, very high prices. Okay, so interesting, interesting thing. Okay, we'll stop over here.